Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're delighted that you've joined us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your hearts and minds as we enter God's Word. Take your Bibles, turn over to Galatians chapter 5. We've been going through the entire book of Galatians and, and we've said over and over again, Galatia wasn't a church. It wasn't a city, it's a region. It was an entire Roman region. Uh, and Paul was writing a letter to that region. And uh, they really was one main concern. How are you saved? And this was the argument that was taking place. Paul was saying, you're saved by grace through faith alone. But there were some very conservative Jewish Christians in the church that said, yes, you need Jesus and what he did on the cross, but you're also saved by following all of the Jewish laws and customs. And so that became the big battle uh, in the book of Galatians uh, that Paul's been writing about. Uh, Chapter 5 is kind of where we need to be because the first four chapters, Paul kept showing over and over again the superiority of grace over the law. And so you're beginning to think now, well, then the law doesn't matter. And so chapter 5 is where he comes and he says, well, that's not exactly what I'm saying at all. So this is kind of the... uh, 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 where, where we kind of get the entire picture of what he's talking about. So turn over to Galatians uh, chapter 5. Anybody here watching the Olympics? Yeah, really enjoyed it, except the last few days with track and field and diving. It's like, seriously, you know, do I care about any of that? But uh, uh, there was the ladies' marathon that was really interesting. And what happens in the women's marathon is that there were two sisters, twins, Lisa and Anna Honor, and I got a picture of them right here. Uh, they, they weren't in any danger of winning a medal. They finished 80th and 81st, but there's like 160 runners. So that's in the middle of the pack. That's, that's pretty good. And they just happened to be by each other when they got to the finish line. And when they saw each other, they smiled, grabbed each other by the hand, and ran over the finish line smiling. Two sisters who had fulfilled this dream of running in the Olympics, crossing the finish line together. It's a very sweet, very neat moment during the Olympics. But they were Germans, and the German Olympic uh, Federation didn't like that at all. And that very afternoon, they put out a statement that said, our athletes are to run to win and compete, and crossing the line, smiling and holding hands is not what the Olympics are about for German athletes. Now, why would you put out something like that, besides you're not a very nice person or something like that? Because these young ladies were challenging what it meant to be an Olympian. They thought what it meant to be an Olympian is you're going to win, you're going to be ruthless, you're going to do everything you can. What they saw was the joy of competing and being together and crossing the finish line. But here's the thing we need to realize. What they were doing with their freedom is something that always disturbs people. Because we want people to conform. We want people to be what, to act the way they were supposed to act, to do the things they were supposed to do. And freedom never gets you in a box. Freedom always breaks out of the box. And so when they crossed that free, that finish line with smiles and with that joy, it went against the notion of what it meant to be an Olympian for the German Olympic Federation. And they didn't like that at all. What we're going to see in Galatians chapter 5 is that's still the way we are all the time. Even in religion, uh, we want people to conform and be in our little mold and do what they were supposed to do. But Paul's been arguing for four chapters that what our faith is really about is a radical freedom that comes from our new relationship in Jesus Christ that challenges all of those norms. 
So look down to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 1. And in the first 12 verses, Paul kind of goes back to what we've heard in the first four chapters. And he argues again the superiority of grace over the law. Look at verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So this is an argument he's made over and over again. Jesus died, forgave you of your sins. You've been free. Don't go back to trying to be good and acceptable to God by following the law. He says that's just taking yourself back into slavery. Now this was a problem that they had over and over again in the book of Galatians. There were two things Paul's going to talk about in verses 1 through 12 that draw us back into slavery. Okay, I've been... Christ has forgiven me of my sins. I'm in a new relationship with him. Why would I go back to slavery again? He says two things draw us back into slavery. The first is this, uh, and that is uh, freedom is often challenged by human effort. It's often challenged by our human effort. We think we've got to be good enough, do enough, become acceptable to God. And that's the big hang-up for a lot of Christians. Yes, I believe Christ forgave me of my sins, but now how am I supposed to live? And so we try to live by pleasing God, by being good and doing all the right things. And so our life becomes an attempt to get into a right relationship with God when we're already in a right relationship with God simply because of who we are as his children. Look at verse 2. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ is of no value to you at all. Now, the problem that they were having that they were really talking about in Galatia was the problem of circumcision. Because what the Jewish Christians were saying was this. Yes, Jesus died for you on the cross, but then you have to be circumcised if you're going to be saved. Circumcision was the rite of passage for... uh, Uh, to to come into the Jewish faith. It's what marked them as different than everyone else. God gave it to Moses right when they were about to leave uh, for the promised land. And so they said, okay, yes, Jesus needs to die for you, but you also need to be circumcised. So look at verse 2 again. I tell you, Paul says, uh, if you're circumcised, Christ is of no value to you at all. Now, what's he mean by that? What's he saying is you either go by human effort or you're going by the grace of God. If you're going by the grace of God, then he's forgiven you of all your sins and you don't need to do anything else. If you have to be circumcised to get into a right relationship with God, then that's human effort. And therefore, now what Christ did on the cross is of no value. It didn't matter. You still had to do something through human effort to get right with God. Look at verse 3. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised, he's obligated to obey the whole law. So he says, okay, if that's the way you want to be right with God, you have to be circumcised to be right with God, then you better follow everything in the entire law because if you mess up on any of it, you're no longer right with God. And so he's trying to get them to see the difference between freedom and human effort because human effort is never going to get us where we need to be. But we still do things like this all the time. Uh, We say we believe in Christ, but then we say things like, but you also have to be baptized in order to be saved. You need to be baptized. Baptism is a new Christian's profession of faith, just as circumcision was the entrance into the Jewish faith. But it's not going to make you right with God. If being baptized is what makes you right with God, then just as he says there, then Christ is of no value to you. 
Or think of any church discipleship program. How many churches, when you join the church, say, okay, now do these three or four things, or these five or ten things, or these 15 or 20 things, and if you do them, then you're a good Christian, you're doing what you're supposed to do. So uh, come to church, uh, attend a small group, read your Bible, give your money, uh, go on a mission trip. If you do those things, you're in a right standing with God. Now, you need to be doing those things. But those things don't bring you into a right standing with God. Only Jesus does. And so everything we're doing is trying to get people to see it's our human effort that's making us succeed. What Paul is saying is that's not the case at all. It's what Jesus did on the cross that makes it that way. Look at verse 4. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ and you have fallen away from grace. Now, this isn't a once saved, always saved argument here. What he's saying is this. If you're depending on human effort, then grace no longer matters to you. So it's up to you how you want to live. Do you want to live by human effort or do you want to live by the grace and freedom that Christ has given us? The problem we often have is we try to go by human effort. Now, most of you following the Olympics know that, that Rio had a lot of problems getting the Olympics started. They, they didn't know if their venues were going to be completed. When the Olympics actually began, Olympic Village wasn't finished. The Australian athletes refused to even move in. It was so bad. Uh, and so you spend all of this money, all these millions of dollars, trying to get everything ready in your city. And then I read an article this week that said most of the Olympic venues that, the, that these uh, cities spend millions of dollars on, they're never used again. And they just begin to decay and fall down because it sounded good, it looked good, but then there was no practical use for it later. Give you some examples right here. Uh, just as the, the ski jump in Genoble, uh, France, and it's just falling apart now, not used for anything. Uh, this is the volleyball venue in Beijing. Uh, again, no use for that building anymore, just, just decaying and falling down. And, uh, you know, you would think a sport that would really get people all the time is canoeing and kayaking, you know. But this is canoeing and kayaking event uh, in Athens. They spent almost $25 million for this event. Now it's just decaying and falling down just a few years later because there's no practical use for it. It doesn't accomplish anything. It just was good for a week or so. That's what following the law does. It might be good for a week or so. You might do good and, and do the things you were supposed to do, but eventually you start failing. Eventually you start messing up again, and you see what you're trying to use to make you good is taking you further away from God. So Paul says one of the things that causes us to lose our freedom is human effort. But there's a second thing Paul talks about that causes us to use our freedom. Freedom is often misunderstood as a license to do anything you want. Freedom is often misunderstood as a license to do anything you want. Okay, I'm saved by grace. Jesus forgives me no matter what, so I can go out and do anything I want. I can live any way I want, commit any sin I want, as long as after I commit it, I say, sorry, and then he forgives me. Look at verse 13. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to enjoy, indulge your sinful nature. Now, this is where Paul begins to change course, because this was the argument of the, of the conservative Jewish Christians. If you give people freedom, they'll go do anything they want. It's a license to sin. And they had a long history of that, because God has given people freedom. And we see from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, what did people do with their freedom? They used freedom to sin and go against God. But God knew this. If you're really going to love somebody, you've got to be free also not to love them. 
And so that's the world God set up for us. We're free to either believe and love God or reject God and do whatever we want. And that's real freedom. And so Paul says, now Christ has set you free from your sins, therefore don't indulge your sins by going back into them. That's not what true freedom is at all. So if that's the case then, if we misunderstand that so much, why do we get into these kinds of problems? Because we think, okay, now I have a license to live any way I want, do anything I want, behave any way that I want. Anybody here been following the Ryan Lochte story? You know, here's Ryan Lochte, one of the greatest Olympic swimmers of all time, uh, won a gold medal at these Olympics. Uh, the Olympics were over. He could now eat anything he wanted, do anything he wanted. He had freedom while he was there. And so what did he do with his freedom is that he went and got drunk at 4 o'clock in the morning, tore up a gas station, and then lied about it and said he was robbed on, national, on international television. And it became a big incident throughout the world, all because he used his freedom to be abusive instead of using his freedom for good. Freedom is not a license to be able to do anything that you want. So then what is it? If those two things take us away from God, if they take us back into slavery, human effort and thinking we can do anything they want, we want, then what does God want and expect from us? Well, that's the next thing that we see. We are not free to sin. We're supposed to be free to love and care for others. We're supposed to be free to love and care for others, not free to sin. Look again down to verse 13. You, my brothers, were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge your sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. So you're now free. You've got a choice. What am I going to do with my freedom? Am I going to use my freedom to sin and do things that are against God? Or am I going to use my freedom to love and care for other people? And Paul says, what you're free to do now is, because you don't have to constantly fight the battle of your sins any longer, is that you're now freed up to do good and to love and to care. Look at verse 14. The entire law is summed up in one single command, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So Paul's telling us here exactly what Jesus said in Matthew 26. Everything in the Bible is summed up in loving God and loving people. We think the Bible is filled with all these laws, all these rules, all these regulations, and we think, I don't even know everything in here. How can I do all the stuff in this book? I'm going to mess up and I'm going to be, do something bad. Jesus said the entire Bible, everything in it, every law, every rule, every regulation is summed up in love God and love other people. Paul made it even simpler than that in verse 14. In verse 14, Paul said the entire law is summed up with love your neighbor as yourself. So in other words, what he means is everything, every law in the Bible is trying to tell us how to love God and how to love people better. And so if all you do is get up and say, I'm going to try to do good and help people, then you're fulfilling everything that the Bible says. And, and, and what a powerful thing uh, indeed that that is to have that entirely new spirit of loving and being cared for in love. Look back to verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor circum uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts, the only thing that counts is a faith that expresses itself through love. So what we're being told here is it's all about how you treat people, all, all about how you love and care for people. If you do that, you're fulfilling the law, even if you didn't know that from the very beginning. I've got a picture here of a young man by the name of Brian Brown. And he had an interesting thing uh, happen to him uh, this week. Brian was at a gas station, 
and there was a lady in front of him uh, who was trying to pay for her gas uh, before she got it, but her credit card was denied. She took out another credit card, and it was denied. She got really agitated. She started yelling and cussing and turned around, and Brian was standing behind her, and he smiled, and she goes, what are you smiling about, idiot? And turns around and walks out the door. And Brian says, uh, I'll pay for her gasoline. And the guy at the station said, why would you pay for her gasoline? She's a jerk. And he said, because Jesus said to love people, and she seems to be somebody that needs a little bit of loving right now. <laughs> and so he paid for her gasoline. When he was getting in his car, he said, ma'am, go ahead and put your gas in. I pay for it. Whatever you put on, it's on my credit card. The lady started crying, went over, hugged him, and said, I am so sorry. My husband is really sick. They don't know if he's going to live or not. I'm, I'm late getting to work from the hospital, and I ran out of gas, and now my credit card has been denied. And she just started bawling, crying. And Brian put his arms around her and said, it's going to be okay because Jesus loves you. And he began to talk to her about the love of Christ. You see, that's using your freedom for good. That's using your freedom to say it's about loving and caring and helping other people. Well, our scripture goes on and says when you live that way, when you live free by the Spirit, it's going to be in direct conflict with living by your sinful nature. And what I mean by that is this. You cannot keep living in sin and doing things against God's will if you're really free and loving God and people the way that you were supposed to be. Look down uh, uh, in our scripture passage to verse 16. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not know what to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. What's he talking about here? What he's saying is the closer you get to God, the stronger your relationship with God is, the more the bad things in your life are going to disappear. So his prescription for living a godly life is to get closer to Jesus. Our prescription is to fight our sins. And we found that to be something that doesn't work very well. We keep falling back into our sins. But what he's saying is God and, and, and sin and evil can't abide together. There's only so much room for one or the other in your life and in your heart. And so when you start giving those places of your heart that right now are given over to sin, and you start giving them to God and God starts filling your heart, there's no place left for those sinful things in your life. Uh, th think of it this way. Uh, let's say uh, uh, you were a person that said, uh, okay, uh, I'm married, but I'm going to sleep with someone else and commit adultery. You're probably not going to do that if your spouse is in the same room with you, okay? Because there's only so much space for two people in the same room like that, and that wouldn't work very well. What he's saying is if God's in the same room with you, it's going to be hard to continue to sin because the things of God are co contrary to the things of this world. And the closer you get to God, the more it's going to dr drive away the things of this world. He says they're like oil and water. They just don't mix together. So his prescription to living a godly life is to get closer to God, to love God, to start doing things to love and care for others, and your life will become filled with love, and then the things of the world will begin to pale afterwards. And here's the reason why. 
Sin is always about pride and self and always is doing something to hurt somebody else. The reason it's a sin, God didn't create a set of rules and say, don't do these things to be a good person. What God said is, this is the best way to live. And if you don't follow these things, then your life's going to be less, other people's lives around you are going to be less, and what you're doing is going to hurt yourself and other people. So we think of a sin as being, this is a rule from God I've got to follow. It's more like God saying, if you don't live this way, it's going to hurt you and it's going to hurt other people. So God's trying to get us to see the difference between a sinful life that's hurting ourselves and others and is not the best way to live and a higher life that's helping others and caring for others. So we have the freedom to love and care. We don't have the freedom to sin and do anything that we want. One of the stars of this week's uh, Olympics was Simone Biles, the, the, the gymnast. And, and she has a great backstory, and probably most of you have heard that backstory. She won, uh, what, four gold medals uh, and, a, and a silver medal at the Olympics uh, uh, this year already, only 19 years old. Simone Biles was born to a mom and dad who were both drug addicts. Her dad took off as soon as she was born. She didn't know him, has never seen him. Her mom was in and out of drug clinics, was constantly stoned. And so she went from foster care to her mom for the first six years of her life. Finally, they took her away from her mom altogether and said, that's it. Uh, you can never live with your mom again uh, because of what was going on in her life. That's when her grandparents, Ron and Nellie Biles, stepped up. Got a picture of them right here. And Ron and Nellie came to Simone. They took her in, her and her sisters. And, uh, and she said, what am I supposed to call you? And she said, they said, call us anything you want. Call us grandma or grandpa. Uh, call us mom and dad. It's whatever you want to call us. She said she thought about it. These are the people that are really loving me. She went to her bathroom mirror and she started saying, mom, 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 mom. And then she went downstairs to her grandmother and said, mom, can I have something to eat? And her grandmother turned around and started to cry. So they began to take her in. She was interested in gymnastics. They got her lessons. But she said the most important thing they ever did was they taught her about Jesus Christ from an early age. And they told her no matter what you ever do in gymnastics, it's the way you behave as a person that's really going to matter. You have two examples here of freedom. Her mother and her father used their freedom to hurt themselves and to hurt their family. Her grandparents used their freedom to, to take care of this girl and her sisters and to provide them a good home when they were already retired. What you see is people using their freedom for good, people using their freedom for hurt. And that's the next thing that we see. Living by the Spirit is in direct conflict with living by our sinful nature, but it goes beyond that. The fruit of our sinful nature leads us away from God. The fruit of the Spirit leads us to God. Some of the greatest verses in the Bible come up here, and they're really kind of uh, interesting. What Paul does is he compares the sinful nature to the fruit of the Spirit, and this is what he wants you to see from this. If you're living sinfully, it is so polar opposite from what God wants in your life that, that pretty soon it's going to become obvious. This, these aren't the things that are helping and caring for people if these things are in my life. Look down to verse 19. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, 
hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Now, what I want to do is I'm going to read those again, and every time I do, raise your hand if you have that problem in your life. <laughs> Witchcraft. All right, we, we, won't, we won't do that. We won't do that. But listen again to just a sampling and see how if these things are in your life, it's hurting you and it's hurting someone else. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions. If those things are in your life, it is so opposite from the love that God wants for you and for you to have for others that it becomes obvious. And the closer you get to God and his love, the less you're going to be able to have these things in your life. It's going to start bothering you. You're going to say, man, that's just not right. I shouldn't be thinking, acting, feeling. It's going to stand up in your life that this isn't the way God wants you to live. Because what's the fruit of the Spirit? This is what God wants. See, what we think God wants is for us to follow the rules. What we think God wants is come to church, give your money, uh, go on a mission trip, Read your Bible, and we've got our little rules. Uh, be good, and these are the things God wants from us. Now, maybe those are things we need to be doing, but that's not what God wants to see through our life. What's he want to see? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And then listen to the next words. Against these things, there is no law. There's no law that says you've got to have joy. There's no law that says you're supposed to be peaceful with others. There's no law that says you're supposed to be kind. Those things come inside of you and flow out of you when you have a life of love and care. And if you want to know what it means to be a Christian... It's not to show up and be at church. Showing up at church no more makes you a Christian than standing in a garage makes you a car. Okay? But that's what a lot of us think. What the hallmark of the Christian life in John 13, 35, he said, By this, all people will know you are my disciple when you love one another. Did you hear that? It didn't say, By this, all people will know you're my disciple when you have a big fish sticker on your car. He doesn't say, by this all people know you are my disciple when you carry a big Bible around with you. He didn't say, by this all people know you're my disciples when you condemn everybody that does something wrong and tell them how bad a person they are. He said, by this everybody in the world is supposed to know you're my disciple when you love each other. That's what it's about. And so it changes everything about how we are, how we react, and how we live. The law doesn't get us where we need to be. The law isn't bad. The law shows us good and bad and right and wrong. If we didn't have the law, we wouldn't know what God says is the best way to live. It's showing us the best way to live. We need it. But it doesn't make you right before God. And what God wants from us is a life of love. So if you're using the law to become right before God, you are engaged in a practice that's useless. Do you know the most useless job at the Olympics this year? Anybody know? Lifeguard for the swimming competition. Got a picture of it right here. Uh, you know, uh, that's the most, you know. 
Here we have the greatest athletes in the world, the greatest swimmers in the world, and I'm a lifeguard in case one of them uh, goes under in a pool that they can stand up in. You, you know, uh, something like that. So, you know, that's kind of a useless thing. But what Paul is saying is using the law to be right with God is a useless thing. What God wants from us is a life that shares itself in love. There's an interesting story in the paper this week. A man was at Walmart buying school supplies for his son. Got a picture of him uh, right here. When he saw this young lady, and she had a cart filled to the top with school supplies, 150 binders, all of these pencils, all of this other stuff, just filled to the top. And he said, you must have a big family. And, and she started laughing and said, no, I'm, I'm a school teacher, and I teach in the inner city, and none of my kids can afford school supplies. So I'm coming out and I'm buying all the supplies that my class needs so I can give it to them when class starts. And the guy said, that's a really neat thing to do. You're a very special person. I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go up to this line with you and I'm going to pay for everything in your cart because you're a very special teacher. And then she turned around and said something to him that was just as special. She looked at him and she looked at his son who was with him that he's buying supplies for and she said, you know, your son just saw you did that. And it's the most powerful thing you could have ever done to teach your son today. When they saw, when all he saw was his father loving and caring, what that gave to his son was that's the way life was supposed to be lived. What do you want your children to learn from you? Don't do these bad things. And if you do, God's not going to be happy with you. Or do you want your children to learn what it means to love and care and make a difference in people's lives? Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you that you call us to radical freedom and love. Father, help us to live that out each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen.
hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on Contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Keyword, MyWRBC. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening and join us next week for another message from God's Word.